You're listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book. Hello, I'm Nicholas Sperling. This is a social justice podcast. Today, our topic is LGBTQIAS2 plus issues, and I'm joined by Sabrina Summington and Diversity Reigns. So thank you both for joining me. Uh, Sabrina, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Nicola. Uh, I'm Sabrina Symington. Uh, most people know me as Bria. I do Life of Bria comics, which is like a webcomic I've been doing for like seven years now, almost seven and a half years. And it's kind of evolved into know, all sorts of different things. I do all sorts of weird projects that I just, I don't know, I kind of just do whatever I want at this point and try to make that work and uh somehow i get invited on shows <laughs> sounds like a pretty great life yeah i'm pretty lucky and uh diversity would you like to introduce yourself i am sister diversity reigns i'm a sister of the abbey of the long-seated canoe of the sisters of perpetual indulgence for those who don't know what that is we're a 21st century order of queer nuns we have no sexual bias um we go around spreading universal joy, expiating stigmatic guilt, and we serve our community by doing fundraising and helping out in events and things for uh, community members. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to get started with uh, some questions because I think you're both going to bring very different perspectives to the conversation. Um, you both have very different lived experiences and I am also a queer person, so this is going to be one of those topics where I can actually jump into the conversation a little bit, which is going to be fun. So normally when we do these podcasts, I try to give the audience a sense of what the issue is that we're discussing. I think that most people know what it means to be queer, so we probably don't need to talk about what the issue is, but I think we should talk about some of the main issues that face queer people today. Do you, either of you have some thoughts on, on some of the big issues that are uh, present in our society at the moment? I do. You know, one of the things that I'm totally aware of is that um, we're at risk because as cities and towns develop, the gay, the queer community sort of disappears. So we need to step up our willingness to be able to step out to make cities change their minds. I give an example of in, in Vancouver, there is the um, Davy Village. It's now reduced to two blocks for queer entertainment. Yeah. And it was this whole block was done and brought up by the queer community. Yeah. What happens now? They tear down a building. They're going to put up high rises. What happens when they put up a high rise? Well, the clubs and things that were there can no longer afford to be there because they can't afford any staff because their staff can't live in those buildings. So what's going to happen to the community? It's going to totally disappear unless we, the community members, get up and create our voice to make safe spaces stay safe for the queer community as well as the overall community. So there's a big concern around gentrification because that community was... I guess, originally created out of a need for safety to, to have that strength in numbers and all, all being yeah. together. And now people are sort of being pushed out of that neighborhood. Is that, is that that's, that's very correct. Even like in terms of the, um, uh, the Dyke March, which has always been East Vancouver down there. 
Well, so many of them down there cannot afford to live there anymore. So they've moved out to Surrey. So they're now doing a dike march in Surrey. So things are transitioning from there to there. But should they have to? Right. Should people be forced to move away from what they've always considered to be their home? Yeah, because they feel safe there. Right. Yeah. Um, did you have some thoughts on this, Sabrina? Well, I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, too, is that like a lot of our issues are these sort of broader intersectional issues that are facing everybody right now with the, like deindustrialization and the way cities are being kind of hollowed out with this real estate speculation and building high rises and gentrification. Uh, people are becoming atomized and public spaces are being completely destroyed. And most people don't really have any sort of sense of community. And to be LGBTQ plus is like that is a your community. You have this access to this block of, you know, like experienced individuals. You all share this sort of access of oppression and the way you interact with the world is common enough that you can all band together and then, you know, maybe push back against these forces, money that buys out our, you know, our there's clubs, our spaces, uh, our neighborhoods. And unfortunately, that those forces uplift certain members of our community, right? And they might approve these projects because they don't see the need for maybe a public life because their private life is doing so well. Mm-hmm. And so that's a matter of not just solidarity within our idea of like being LGBTQ+, but also like, well, class are, are poor members of our community, uh, uh, racialized members, people who are like being affected by poverty or institutional structural issues. Like we need to be aware of these uh, chinks in our armor, the people who could left, get left behind instead of just thinking, oh, I got mine. I'm fine. I'll buy a condo. I'll invest in this real estate development, even if it destroys something. Right. So there's that need to, when you get your rights to not sort of say, okay, well, I'm done with my work now it's it's about pulling other people up along with yeah. you well how many of us like you know thought like uh that you know oh marriage equality is granted in canada people have been resting their laurels a fair bit for years with that despite some people saying oh maybe we should overturn that i, I hear conservatives every year say that maybe they might want to but they thought oh that's done we don't have to worry anymore and never mind say trans people being at the forefront of the culture war and being the new devil to beat on. If we can't, oh, if we can't get marriage equality, we'll get the, you know, the trans is there next. Right. It's interesting that you're both bringing up this idea of uh, community being lost because I, I guess in my mind, it shifted in some ways. We're lacking that in-person community, but we've gained a community online. We've been able to get people together that way as a way of, um, I guess, advocating. And is that uh a good shift like obviously we want to have in-person communities that's a very important piece but uh is that a positive or are we seeing that communities are also also forming on sort of the other side of the issue where they're trying to take away our rights and uh i guess my question is has the internet been good or bad for queer advocacy i think it goes both ways actually depending on who's who's dealing with it yeah and what they're doing, what are they trying to accomplish? Um, there are many ways that people are reaching out to the community to get the conversations happening to make the changes. Yeah, um, and 
with the internet, one of the key factors, and I'm learning this from the straight community, where is our, our, our future? It's in our youth. We don't let our youth know what we have struggled through to get to where the rights that they enjoy and take for granted, yeah, those rights can be gone. We saw that happen in Germany. I mean, you go through Berlin and you see these places where all these rights were there. They're, they're on the verge of marriage equality. And bam, it was gone. Bam, the gay community was gone. Um, and it's like, we have to not just let the internet allow us to become acquainted on one level. We have to get the whole level going up. Yeah, keep the whole... And one of the things that comes to my mind is that we always look at it as the LGBTQ plus blah, 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 blah community. There's also the allies. We have to keep them in mind. We have to include them. We have to include the other minorities, whether they're Asian, Chinese, or whatever. Be advocates for them to make them feel included because they will help us be included in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we get anywhere without having allies. No. Mm -hmm. What work do you think still needs to be done in order to create a more inclusive society, one that is more accepting of, of queer folks? I know it's a very you know broad question. There's a lot of different things that will need to be done, but are you seeing some some um, advocacy learning. work that's really you know impactful in your mind? I I'm learning, and I'm learning from what has happened with the um, the native schooling demise and the lack and the influence of colonialism learning how to put that aside because within our communities there is that colonialism aspect there as well yeah. so to be able to eradicate that to be able to uh, allow ourselves to be free enough to learn and understand the other people who are part of the community rather than just my myself and who I am yeah um, and I think that's important that we, we learn that we're not all the same. Each one of us is a difference. And as my name reflects, diversity reigns. The more diversity we can see within the community, the stronger the community becomes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, every time we do one of these episodes, there's always these intersections that occur where um, no one is affected by just one social issue. Yeah. We're affected by a variety of different social issues and depending on how you look to others in the world or how you act or the the kinds of connections you have the privilege that you have you're treated in different ways and it's often difficult to separate that uh, and to know sort of which issue you're dealing with at any given time so yeah. there's always going to be overlap um, did you have some thoughts on this? Uh, yeah. Well, I'd like to bring it back a little bit to the internet question. Yeah. I, I oh, did have some th thoughts absolutely. on that. We'll tie into this. Uh, I was actually really, I think, disenchanted with internet uh, activism community. Uh, I feel like a lot of it, there's a lot of distractions that end up happening. And there's a lot of people thinking they're engaging, but you're not really. It's like a what I call plucking leg hairs, where you, it, you know, you couldn't pluck all your leg hairs. You're not going to be able to get nice, clean, shaven legs by plucking out every one of your hairs. But sometimes it feels really satisfying to pluck a hair. You think, oh yeah, I'm doing it. And if you think about it, it's it's actually better than shaving because a, a plucked hair will take longer to regrow. But like it's make work, it's nothing. And so we spend a lot of time like 
thinking that maybe arguing with somebody or posting some catty remark or something like that's not real engaging with people. That's actually just engaging with your own like ego, mm -hmm. uh, you know, love it's clout chasing and such. Um, or it just feels good to score a point yeah. on someone who's been doing the same to you. Yeah. You're beating up on uh, an effigy, right? Everyone gets to have their two minutes hate. Everybody gets to watch a quick video dunking on somebody or whatever. And it's like, okay, but what are you actually doing? Mm -hmm. We have to actually mobilize in the real world. We have to actually like uh, meet and and maybe act in a block in a collective action. And that I am actually was really heartened recently was the campaign to get rid of the the hate stalking website Kiwi Farms. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you diversity or if the listeners are familiar with that what, with what that was, but it was basically just like a, a neo Nazi hate anti LGBT anti everything that you might hold dear doxing people yeah. left right and center yeah like stalking and all that mm -hmm. horrible people uh, i actually had a thread on there most public trans people these days have a, a thread on there in some capacity it doesn't take much to get in their radar and uh they went after the wrong person as uh, a, a streamer you know i don't know how old she is but she's a younger keffels uh streams to the youth online and she was able to coordinate her community of like all of these, you know, kids, queer, trans kids all over the world to like, you know, they did their cyber hacking stuff. They sent complaints. They did all these things. And that site's gone now after a decade plus of people trying to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Lots of people tried to get rid of Kiwi Farms. And that created tangible harm in the world. They were like getting people to kill themselves. They were instigating stochastic terrorism uh, getting swatting incidents happening on people. And they were trying to ruin people's lives. And the right-wing backlash against trans and queer people happening today, they take it from that playbook. They're doing this stuff. The, the, the bomb threats at children's hospitals, they are doing the same online terrorism, basically. And I've seen, though, now a movement of people pushing back against that. I tuned in some one of these streams with Keffels and... They seem like they're they're moving. They actually are acting together. They're organizing online, but putting action into the real world. And it really gave me hope. Mm -hmm. And that this sort of acting, but also working together, this is my in my mind what we need to be doing to change the world mm -hmm. uh, to make it more inclusive. I mean, I can go on about maybe some material concerns that people have might lead to you know. I feel like a lot of the hate that we have going on is. I mean, I'm not going to say, oh, poor bigots, you know, we should feel sorry for them. But like, I think if they had better lives, they wouldn't be so preoccupied with tearing other people down. I think a lot of people these days are like trapped rats in a cage and we're starting to chew on each other. And things have not been great the last decade. Uh, they seem to have been steadily getting worse in a lot of ways, like economically for most people since like, you know, 9-11 more or less, right? That seems to be this downward trend in the West. And I know I'm rambling now, but the point is, I think, uh, materially, if we made people like happier, maybe people could buy a house. People didn't, you know, feel like they're being evicted by gentrification. People could have a life. Maybe they wouldn't be so apt to jump down someone else's lifestyle or, you know, way of being in the world. I, I think, too, when it comes to websites like that, people on the sort of the right wing or the alt right of, of politics tend to be more forgiving of character flaws, right? They, I mean, in my mind, they, they all have character flaws, but um, 
they don't have that sort of infighting, I don't think, that people on the left tend to have. And that makes it, I guess, more likely for them to be able to form these groups that will then work together, even yeah. though maybe they disagree fundamentally on a lot of issues. They're very focused on this one issue. They'll, they're willing to look past everything else in order to attack another group of people. And they can mobilize their forces to be able to do that in a way that a lot of people up until this situation on the left were not able to do. So I see that as being a huge positive. And at the same time, I know that there's a big conversation around that issue specifically where people will say, well, why did it take a very high profile white woman t to make this happen? Why were people not taking, you know, these kinds of threats seriously when there were, you know, people of color or people with, a you know, uh, platforms that weren't as large who were facing those kinds of um, those threats, right? Um, and I don't know that there's a good answer to that, and I don't know sort of what to do with that information, but I know that there's a conversation around that that needs to happen at some point. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's I, that goes back to the listening, uh, what you mentioned, diversity, like people actually taking the time to talk to one another. And I think, unfortunately, uh, a lot of these conversations have to happen between people that actually know one another and care about one another, like you or I can't convince somebody who's dismissive of trans people or, you know, we couldn't, someone who's dismissive of queer LGBT people, we're not going to be able to convince them. They're not going to listen to us. They have to hear it from like their cool football coach that they respect. Mm -hmm. They have to hear it from somebody that they care about their opinion. They don't care about our opinion by default. And even like neutral people, non, you know, like CNN isn't going to take you know, some small person being harassed by Nazis seriously. They'll take a celebrity or someone seriously, right? Mm -hmm. So they have to hear it from somebody they respect. And I'm not going to defend people's metrics for what they respect, but right. that's kind of what I think has to happen with these conversations to change people. Yeah. But isn't that also part of our responsibility to set the example for what we would like to see happening? The more we can do that, even though they may not want to talk to us, if they see us in action getting something happening, it may make them take another look at some point. Yeah. But if we just sort of ignore them, put them out of view, put them <laughs> out of, say there, Mike, uh, put them out of sight, um, and, and they're not being listened to either, then they're just going to get all the more violent. Yeah. Whereas if we just be ourselves, love who we are, this thing, you've heard me before with this thing, yeah. My main thing is, is to get people to love themselves so that they can love other people. If we can love ourselves, who cares what the other person is doing or not doing or, or being or not being yet? They're a person, and we can love them for being that person. Yeah. And being able to get that across to people that it's not, not the clothes you're wearing, it's not the money you have, it's not the whatever position you're in, in the colonialization of things, um, that you're a person mm -hmm. and to respect the person for being a person. And if we haven't got that respect, we don't have respect for ourselves. Yeah. And I think we need to all begin to put that out to people. I mean, I tell youth in particular, I say, listen to your elders, listen to the ancients, find out what they went through to become that you have what you have today and then get out there and fight to enhance it. Yeah. Rather than just think, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm, you, know, you might not be fine, 
if you had to go through these things. And that understanding to be able to uh, encounter a person who is adamantly against who you are. I mean, I was manifesting in white face one day and I ran into a couple of people who really were starting to get at me and going, what are you doing? I said, I'm raising funds for the uh, Dogwood Monarchy Society. What are they? They're a group that helps people and helps charities. And, oh, we like that name. Oh, in five years, we're going to take it over. And I just looked him straight in the eye and I said, you know what? In five years, we're still going to be here and you're going to be gone. Shut up. <laughs> you know, I didn't put up with, and I didn't insult him. I just said, this is reality, my reality. And you can accept it or not. Yeah, I think that there, it's that old expression, if you don't learn from your history, you're destined to repeat it, right? Yeah. So yeah. we have to learn from the people that came before us in order to inform the advocacy that we're doing today. And I think also to your point about allies, there's a huge role for allies to play in all of this because when trans people like us are being you know, faced with harassment around uh, this website kiwi farms we're not going to respond to that by going well actually why don't we just have a, a fun conversation you know a friendly no, conversation no, no. and yeah. and let's talk about these issues whereas someone who's in a, a, a position of being an ally someone who is maybe more respected by those people can potentially reach out and say can i maybe explain this to you and can we sit down and have a conversation and i think that's a really important role to play you know Queer people are tired of the hate that we get, and we're not going to respond to it in, in that very calm and collected way that, you know, the people that are opposing us are going to respect, but some of our allies can maybe accomplish that. And sort of in that vein, I have a question around SOGI education. For anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, it's sexual orientation and gender identity education. It seems like there's a lot of misinformation out there around SOGI, right? The idea is let's just teach kids about all of these different identities. Let's make sure that education is inclusive of everyone. That's that's basically all it is, right? Making sure that whether you're gay, whether you're trans, whether you're straight, um, cisgender, you're still getting the education that you need. But there's a huge pushback against this. There's this idea that you're turning our kids gay, you're turning our kids trans. And how do you respond to that? How do you educate the public around what that education is actually about and why it's so important? Well, do you want to? No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's it's hard to get, again, someone to listen to you who's already committed to not listening to you. If they fundamentally believe that, like, there's something wrong with being gay or trans or queer you're going to have a hard time even getting it. It's going to have to be somebody else to tell them. We can't be the person. But uh, I've, I've had this conversation with people before, and it, I've just tried to very lay it out very plainly and firmly too, though, like, oh, no, that's not true. You know, I don't know who told you that. You've been misinformed, but actually it's not about converting kids. You can't be converted to this. This is about educating children about existing people in our society as well as any children there who might be one of those people, because those people exist everywhere. They'll keep getting born. It's not like we we, we like come out of somewhere else. You you could have a gay kid, you know. Just even if you don't want to think that, you might. And it's letting them know this is a possibility, so they don't spend years being miserable. 
because that's that's the options. They can either understand who they are or not understand who they are and be miserable. Mm-hmm. And for the other kids who aren't LGBT, they can either understand these other people that exist alongside them or not. And you don't, I don't say this, didn't say it to the person that I said this to, but end up like you. Because this is fundamentally people that didn't get this education uh, and got another negative education and uh, they just don't understand these issues. Yeah. I mean, I never got that education and I still ended up trans. I think yeah. the difference is that had I had that education, I would have recognized that I was trans a lot earlier. It would have made my life a lot easier. So that education is really important. Uh, did you have some thoughts on this as well? I totally agree with it. The education is important. And again, there are some people who aren't going to buy into it because they have this thing that they learned and their grandparents and their great-grandparents learned that trans is not a good thing uh, or gay is not a good thing or queer is not a good thing. And it, it's, again, it's breaking down, being able to break that down. We may not break down for everyone right at the start, but the more we put the information out there and the more, need this mic alone, <laughs> the more um, we're willing to share our reality with somebody else without demanding that they accept our reality, then the more we're going to win some of them over. Yeah. And their children, hopefully, will come out a better place too. Um, you, you know me and Soji. I was out there in Maple Ridge, and I forget the name of the person who was talking out there. Uh, but there's a few names that come to mind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I call, called them a few too. Uh, <laughs> but they were talking at a school, and they were, they were anti-Soji. Mm-hmm. And I said, I can't, can't deal with this. I've got to go out there. I went out there. I was the only person there with a Soji sign. Yeah. And then what was the feedback that they gave? Oh, the sisters are out there trying to convert kids. No, we're not out there trying to convert kids. We were there to try to stop you from creating hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's hard for them to understand that. Yeah. They think that they are right. And I keep hearing these, these, these phrases, well, it's scientifically proven. Where's the science? Yeah. yeah. If you say it's scientifically proven, show me the science, and I might reconsider. But I see no science that's saying it. I see science that's saying the other thing, that the more that a child is able to live in to who they are, who they feel they are, um, the better off that child's going to be, the better off society's going to be. Mm-hmm. Because they're being who they want to be, yeah. and and that kind of. I have a friend who uh, has had two nieces. One niece, when she was sixteen, committed suicide. The other niece is older now, but has transitioned, and is still thinking of suicide because of the constraints and things that are being put on on her. And it's like, how do you get through to people that? Let the person be who they are. I consider myself blessed. I was allowed to grow up being who I am without my parents, my family, anybody questioning who I am. I was just me. And, and I, I feel that I was blessed. And I don't know how to put that across to other people. How can you do that to your kid? How can you not allow them to be? I mean, I got really irate when I was about six years old. And I was under a sofa playing with my cutouts. <laughs> Six-year-old boy playing with cutouts. And I heard my grandmother say, he should have been born a girl. That hurt. Because she wasn't recognizing me for being who I was. Yeah. Uh, for, for no other reason. 
And that always stayed with me. But then I saw that in my family, uh, everybody accepted who I was. Yeah. Uh, they allowed me to be me. And that was, that was a freedom. And that's what I see Soji, what we're talking about, is allowing for children to be able to understand, to see that they can actually be themselves. Now we need to get their parents to understand, let them be themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let them own into it. And the, the, the friend that I was talking about who has a, a niece, uh, her parents are struggling with her, trying to keep her from committing suicide because she's suicidal. But they say even if she does commit suicide, she is living in the body she wanted. And that was very real to me that if we're living in the body that we want, what else matters? Right, because that's not the reason that people are are killing themselves. No. It's um, like I had a friend, for instance, who who killed herself because she couldn't handle how society was treating her, and that's exactly why those studies will show that if you grow up in a society where you're accepted, the suicide rates are roughly the same as with any other population. Right, queer queer people are going to kill themselves at the same rate as um, as uh, you know, cis heterosexual people. And that's because you've removed that element that is causing people to feel like they can't live in this world anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And it's like, how do we, I guess we just keep on doing what we're doing to try to make a difference. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that, you know, we're going to snap our fingers and overnight everything's going to get better. So all we can really do is try to keep plugging away at making things a little yeah. bit better piece yeah. by piece. And you can't get too wrapped up in like, it's, I, mean, it's, I feel weird saying this because people always say the opposite, but you can't get too wrapped up in the bigger picture. Like you can't look at everything at a national level because no. you can't do anything at that level. You can affect the people in your immediate sphere. And I think that's one thing the internet has not been good for is everybody's thinking big which is like, okay, good, because we kind of need to, this whole climate change thing and all that, which is another podcast, I know. But like, <laughs> uh, but we need to think globally. We need to think internationally. We have to have some kind of international solidarity. But you're just a little bug. You can't worry about the whole world. Worry about your neighborhood, your community, the people you know. That's all you can actually affect. And if you focus on that, I think you'll be happier and more effective. Yeah, I think there's also the opportunity to sort of combine those two where you can be doing that work in your community and showing how impactful it can be and then pushing that out on social media, right? And and getting that out and going, you want to make change on a, a global scale, why don't you follow my lead in all of your communities, right? You get a lot of people that are doing that work within their communities and that's how that global change happens or that national change happens. We are showing it's possible. Just like the internet has helped so many queer people to see themselves and have a community they can interact with and be reflected in like, oh man, I could actually live the life I want. You mm -hmm. could even if there's nobody in your town doing that. Very much you so. know, you could see it in, you know, the cities or whatever you got online. And the same with action. You'd be like, oh, we did this, you know, community garden or whatever, you know, some community action. And be like, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that in my community. Mm -hmm. You could even organize, you know, your little community thing online. That's an easy way to connect everybody. Sure. But it's about still the real world action being focused on something you can actually reach out and get. Mm -hmm. And it seems like when it comes to uh, trans people and gay people, it, it seems like trans people are, are sort of a couple decades behind in the push for 
um, equality or equity because I guess that advocacy sort of started later or, or caught on a little bit later. Is there a way, do you think, that we can speed that up so we can kind of get trans advocacy up to sort of the the level of, of gay advocacy? Uh, I don't know if, if that makes sense there. Or, or is that just kind of the nature of, of timelines? Well, you know? you know, following, I think, the previous model that we followed, realistically, the people who hate us just need to find a new person to hate because I think that's what happened with gay people. Oh, so it's, you know, gay people have their rights and now we're going to hate trans people? Yeah, and I, but I also think that, like, and I'm not going to, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to frame that, uh, phrase this in an inflammatory way, but, like, you know, marriage equality passed when everybody was busy hating Muslims. And I, I mean, that's a really harsh way to put it, but, like, I feel like they were focused on something else and society had to prove that it was good in some way. Like, oh, we're going to give rights to the queers now. Like, you know, you know, it's, this is something I'm probably wrong on. But I can't help but feel like they were distracted. And now the war on terror didn't pan out. And now they're focusing back. They're mad about marriage equality getting passed. And trans people are the new weird thing. So they're going to hate that mm-hmm. now. And maybe they're, I don't want them to find somebody else to hate. I want it to get fixed another way. But I don't know if... It was like, I, mean, I don't want to undersell anybody's hard work they did, but I, our society still seems to have the same terminal illness that causes the hate to be there. It didn't go anywhere. Right. So it's sort of like the hate's not disappearing. It's just getting shifted around yeah. in different areas mm-hmm. of our society. Well, that's a that's a very sad uh, outlook. <laughs> I, know, I know you know Jaylene Time. Mm-hmm. Jaylene's and wonderful. she speaks of allies. She says she doesn't call them allies anymore. Call some assistance. Mm. They're out there in action to making things happen for the community, and that's part of the thing. We and I guess that's using that analogy with the trans community. The queer gay community didn't look outside themselves to see the trans community was part of them, and we still need to show them that they are part of us. And we are, whether it's the trans community or the black community, the uh, Chinese community, the Asian community, who are are restricted in being able to be free who they are in their sexuality. Yeah, if we can be out there and show that we can support all of those people to to get ahead, we'll all come out ahead. I think. And there's also the reverse happening. A lot of people in the LGBT community find meaning in reaching out to what other communities they're a part of. If, you know, my, my partner is uh, Japanese Canadian descended and she's actively working in the Japanese Canadian community to be an LGBT representative there. And that's a valuable role in that community for people. Like anyone's individual mm-hmm. community could be a part of, you know, anything. You're an ambassador in your bowling league or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. and now that's work you're doing, and you're helping your community there, and also representing your other community there as well. It's, yeah, it's very much. I mean, I take a look at Share and what it's done for the South Asian community, basically. Yeah, uh, allowing them to even talk about people being gay or trans or whatever. Yeah, 
and because there's a lot more stigma in certain cultures. Oh, there's there? a lot more stigma. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. Yeah, they're being able to talk about it and getting other people to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, when you get somebody's mothers talking about what they had to go to, they didn't even know what gay was or lesbian was. They, that wasn't part of their concept. I was yeah. actually watching a video, uh, it was by the Try Guys, of all people, on, on uh, YouTube. And uh, Eugene, I don't know if either of you know who this, these people are, but um, he's of Korean descent. And when he came out, he was saying that uh, he basically told his mom to guess what was you know, what was wrong or what was going on. And uh, he said three hours of guessing before she finally <laughs> thought, maybe you're gay. Because it just like didn't, it didn't even register that that was a possibility. Yeah, no. And that, was, that had to do with sort no. of that cultural. Yeah, there wasn't difference. part of their culture that somebody can be, would be that way. Yeah. Uh, and if they were, well, like in many places, they were executed. Mm -hmm. If they were discovered to be that, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's something that maybe we need to just uh, mention as part of this podcast that we do live in a country that has a lot of issues when it comes to queer people. But at the same time, we have a lot of privilege in living here because a lot of places in the world are far, far worse than, than what, you know, we, what have, we, yeah. we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that COVID has had a big impact on advocacy work within the queer communities? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, people being driven into entirely online is, I think, as we've already discussed, benefits and uh, pitfalls. But I think everybody's just so stretched thin uh, because of, you know, every all this extra burden. Everything's more expensive. Everything's harder to get by on uh, ever since, you know, the, the pandemic's just made all these problems we have in the world worse. And people, I see it. Like, just people in general are just fried. People flake out more, have a harder time showing up and just dealing with basic things. And it's just made it harder for people to do anything. And then you might, you know, put the microscope lens down further into a smaller community, an LGBT community. It's we're even more fried because we're already at the margins. We're already having a hard time. And it's really hard to get anything done. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's this mentality of why bother? Um, Organizations, hospitals, all sorts of high up things really seem like they are coming apart at the seams because the individual people are coming apart. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We're forgetting in society that we are, we are a society, I guess is the, is the word that I'm going for. Like for me during the pandemic, I mean, I fortunately was working, I was working within the public. I didn't have the big restrictions that a lot of people had. Yeah. So I wasn't afraid to go out into the public. And I found that by being out in the public, it made, as a sister, it made some people feel more secure in being who they were and where they were. Because there was somebody out there who was out there for them. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Just bringing some sort of normalcy, normalcy to, to it. Their yeah. Lives. yeah, it's like um, I've discovered that if you bring a balance and normalcy to things and you are out there with other people, it has an effect on them. Getting back out there in society, I mean, I know people who have immune uh, problems who really don't feel comfortable being out there in society at all because they feel they're going to catch something. And 
having to learn to respect them to be able to do things online, to be able to do make a difference for other people online. It sometimes is pretty pretty difficult because I want them out there doing things. But if it's a matter of understanding that where is this person coming from? What are they actually giving? What are they trying to do? And so many of the LGBTQ plus community uh, have forgotten that they're important. They've forgotten they're important to their loved ones, forgotten they're important to society. They've forgot that they're important to their, their community. And I think the more we can make them realize, you're important for who you are and what you contribute, um, the freer they become. And the more inclusive we become, the freer we all become. That's my plight. Yeah. I'm also hoping that even though COVID is such a, a difficult thing to, to uh, be going through and uh, because it's, it, you know, it's still not over, there's still all of these um, changes that have occurred within our lives. And um, the impact that that's had on people seems to be quite detrimental in a lot of ways. But I'm hoping that you know, some of the lessons that we've learned from it are going to help us in the future as well. Like the ability to organize via Zoom, we're so good at that now, right? When you want to create that sense of community, it's not the same as getting together in person, but it's a lot better, I think, than you know, firing shots at each other on Twitter or trying to organize that way, right? It's, it's sort of that middle ground where I think a lot of uh, good work can happen and it, it really brings communities together, right? I, um, I think of a lot of the organizations that I work with and, and, and we work uh, together with an organization that, that meets via Zoom. It seems like some of those barriers um, that may have existed in the past have been broken down a little bit, right? Um, we don't have to take a ferry over to Vancouver Island to see the other people that are part of that group. We can just sit down at our computer and see their face and kind of get a little bit of that community feel and that ability to, to collaborate. And I think that as I don't see the internet going anywhere, right? Like it's only going to become more and more a part of our lives. So being able to have that community feel within that space, I think is really important and really valuable moving forward. What role do you think seniors uh, need to take on as queer issues progress and younger generations in some ways begin, be, uh, begin to dictate that path forward? So we talked already about wanting to um, learn from our history so that we're not going to end up repeating mistakes that we've made. But what other roles do you see um, people who are elders within our community playing? Well, I take a look at the Vancouver archives as one example. Yeah. The seniors have the knowledge that the archives is trying to, to give out. Yeah. We have the products, give it to them so they can share that with people. The seniors can get active for things like, what's wrong with us having a museum of the queer community and that people can go to? We're the ones, many have the money to be able to even make it happen. Yeah, and get out there and do it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I keep on hearing the queer seniors need to get over themselves. They just need to be out there like they were before doing what they love to do in the community, rather than, woe is me, they're not taking care of me. I mean, I don't care if they take care of me. I'm going to be doing what I want to do. And just bring themselves back to lives to be able to share their experience, particularly with the youth, 
even the not so youthful who may not know what's going on yet. I mean, an example I give is the the um, the sisters. We sometimes go out in a habit that has on it written on it, uh, "No more wire hangers." Do you know how many people don't know what that signifies? What it's about? What the wire hangers were? No. They really did that, they asked. Yeah, they really did that. In the back alleys, yeah. People's lives were were very often ruined. Um, their their parents would have dug up all the money they could to give to this back alley person to have them abort them using a wire hanger. And who knows what would happen from then on. They don't understand that, that this is the reality that was there. It's it's not just a a, a platitude. It was... It was something that happened. Um, and it's happening again in the U.S.? Yeah, right? very much so, yeah. And it's like even one of the most brilliant things that I ever experienced was in Berlin going on a, a tour of the gay communities at gay archives and things in there. And at the very last spot, which was, I forget what it was, but anyways, the tour director goes on saying what's going on, what's going on, blah, 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 this and this and this. And at the end, he rolls up his sleeves, and he has a tattoo. Boy, did that bring home the reality. It wasn't his talking. It was his showing the tattoo, which the Jews, the uh, the gays, whoever the Nazis didn't like, had to wear. Yeah, And it's like, whoa, that is a reality that was there. It kind of brings it to the present. It brings it to the present. We don't want that to happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's like... I'm off, am I off topic? I don't no, know. you're actually answering both of my questions. Okay. So feel free to keep. But it's like, keep learning about where we've been, what we've done, and share it. It's basically it. Because I know nothing about a whole bunch of things. I know nothing about... When I grew up, and this was in Cranbrook, yeah, I used to be envious of the native children who were sleeping in the park overnight. I wanted to be able to lie in the grass and feel comfortable. I didn't realize what they were going through in the residential school, which was half an hour away. Wow. But they had to go through. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had to learn that through somebody finding, what, 1,200 supposed graves of children who died. Um, and it's like, what can, what can I learn from that? But everything that I've been taught or learned isn't necessarily true. So let me find out what's going on. Yeah. Let me listen to the the people who've had experience with it. I mean, some of these Aboriginal people have gone with it, gone through. Um, and one of the most inclusive things that I've seen is that, and again, I don't know where this applies to everything we're talking about, is that the GVNCS community, which is Greater Vancouver Native Cultural Society, put on an event almost a month ago that they invited to share different cultures and people there. There was Chinese, there was Korean, there were uh, Afghanistan, and sharing why they came to Canada and what they're doing here, and sharing some of their, whether it be music, dance, or whatever. And then there was the indigenous community, which was shared their big drum session, and about six people doing the And that's, which I didn't realize, these drums are used only on what did I forget what they even call now? Drumming. Um, anyways, they're usually about four day celebrations. 
They don't stop drumming for four days. Like a potlatch? Wow. Like a potlatch, this sort of thing. They do not stop drumming for four days. Wow. The dancers are dancing around them all this time as well. So this is all part of their rituals. And it's getting to learn those sort of things. And to me, it was having a, like a North Korean say why they're in Canada, what their struggles were to get here, what their struggles were when they got here, and, but they still love Canada. It was the most inclusive event that I think I've ever experienced. I began to share aspects of culture that I had no idea that were about. The, the Afghanistan ladies were uh, got up and danced, and it was like, they're beautiful. And one of them was a, a, a storyteller, couldn't shut her up. She would just start talking about stories and things about what's going on, and, and her whole love of Afghanistan and her whole love of people and what she felt needed to change so that everybody there can be free as we are here. Yeah. And it, it's like being open to under, to learn about these things and, and not cast aside that, oh, he's a drunken Indian. No, no. He's a person. And, and understanding sort of why there's that reputation of indigenous yeah. people being drunk. And it, it's a result of, of uh, generational trauma. But we haven't seen ourselves as colonizers. We are now seeing ourselves as we carry these things on. Mm -hmm. And it, it's how many aspects of our life do we have the equivalent of colonization that hold us back from being uh, dynamic and out there in the world? Yeah, and I think to your point about sort of growing up in a state of ignorance in some ways, right, not knowing about that residential school and, and the atrocities that were perhaps happening there at the time, that... Uh, we all get fed propaganda, yeah. right? We think about Russian propaganda as a big one, um, but it happens in every country. There's the government will tell you one thing, you know, we're great and this is what's happening and the population will absorb that and kind of start thinking that that's the truth. Mm. But there's, that's never the truth. There's always other factors at play that you, you don't know about. So I think it's really important to sort of check yourself when you're, you're coming up with uh, any kind of conclusion or, or any kind of stance on an issue to go, is this being informed by you know, propaganda that I have been uh, fed? Or is this based off of factual evidence that I've researched and, and figured out to be true in my mind in, in some way? Um, I want to switch to a question for you, uh, Sabrina. Sure. So you work as an artist and... Uh, I've seen comics that you've done that sort of reflect some of the social issues that are happening in our communities. And I want to know what prompted you to start doing that work and also what you're hoping to accomplish by doing that. Well, when I first started doing my comics, it was just total free form. I was just whatever came out of my head. I just, I was renting an art studio and I just went in every day and drew whatever and I was also, I'd started gender transition around that time. And so what evolved out of that was obviously the gender stuff I was dealing with. So I just would make comics about that, my personal internal struggle. And then after about a year or so of that, I was more comfortable in myself and was moving out into the world more and engaging with the trans community more and feeling like I could actually engage with the news. 
And that was right around the time that the bathroom bills in North Carolina and such were starting to come out. And there's a little bit more of this anti-trans backlash. It's, it's, it's wild to think of the world from like 2014, 2015 to 2016 and beyond. Like it was just like a total shift of the heat was on trans people now in a way it hadn't been previously. That was around the time Caitlyn Jenner transitioned. I yeah. Think, right? Yeah, think about when Caitlyn Jenner transitioned and the way people talk about trans people. It wasn't great, but it was very different from how they started talking about it, you know, basically with Donald Trump. And this was slightly before Donald Trump had started, but that just turned up, up and up and up ever since. And so I started doing the more political comics based on a response to that. And I just felt the need to like work through it. Like I was more sure of myself, but I needed to deal with like, the things I was hearing, the awful lies, the propaganda that people were spreading about trans people. And it was like, I knew I couldn't really convince these people that they're like wrong because as I've been saying this whole time, like they don't listen to us. They never, if I've learned one thing doing this work, they don't listen to us. They're not going to listen to comics. You're not going to ever make a great zinger of a comic that, that is going to make a big go, oh, I guess I'm wrong. No, they're going to double down harder. They're for us. They're for it was for me to write it and, and go through methodically. Like, okay, here's why they're wrong. This is bull crud. Uh, this is not a real argument. And I can pinpoint why and make fun of it at the same time. And then I was kind of spreading that as it was like, you know, people responded to that. The LGBT community, trans people wanted that too. They, we yearned for somebody to say, listen, this is wrong and here's why. And you know, there's a sassy cartoon lady saying it. And I, you know, a lot of people got a lot of value out of those comics and I, I needed to do them at the time. And I haven't been doing a lot of them lately because I, it's not like it works. Like as I said, it doesn't convince anybody. And there's this whole like culture war thing going on of like, they just like ramp up these ridiculous non-arguments about like trans bathrooms and athletes. And it's like, that's so not an issue. Rent is too high. Climate change is coming. Everything's on fire and new people aren't fixing it. Get your priorities straight. <laughs> yeah. And there are so-called allies too, though. Like, I don't, you know, there are lots of great allies, great assistants, but there's a lot of politicians say that, like, they're kind of using us, I feel like, and they don't do anything tangible for us. And I'm getting a little sick of being kind of propped up in that, like, this being played by these two sides. The performative allyship on one side. And the... And the the outright monstrous hatred, like mm -hmm. neither one really helps us. So I, I've been pivoting in my, a lot of my cartoons. Like I've, I've, I've done a lot of my own personal stuff, just whatever I feel like doing. I did like a horror story a couple years back, done a few different graphic novels. And I've, I've uh, you know, I've got this one series I've been trying to like make happen and sort of like put it on the back burner and do some research, you know, refine it, return to it one day. But uh, as I keep, you know, returning to this need to do something, to say something about this world that's, you know, I, need, I just have to gesture, you know, there's lots to take your pick of issues in the world to be concerned about and feel like you need to speak on. I'm finding myself wanting to get more back to like the root of a lot of why these things are a problem. Like, okay, yes, trans rights and, and you know, trans women or women, we've done trans 101 to death and like identity politics as like a vector for us to understand ourselves, understand our unique persecutions that we face. That's great. Important to know that. And I also wouldn't want to be part of any movement that wasn't inclusive of that. 
uh, you know, your workers' paradise and revolution isn't going to be a paradise for me if it doesn't recognize trans and queer people. And it's not going to be a paradise for a lot of people I love if it's like racist, you know, like it has to include all these things. But we can't get caught up on the one thing. I can't just think about LGBT stuff because the problem, the thing that makes hate keep on coming back that makes these people keep coming for us is, I'm going to say it because I'm a big old communist, it's capitalism, it's money, it's rich people, it's the the source of all the things funding this war, an endless war, endless oil hunts, the economy's collapsing in on itself because they just keep giving more and more to rich people. Everything keeps getting more expensive as a result of it. The guys in charge, they're doing pretty well for themselves. They don't need to change a whole lot, really. Uh, so they'll just keep throwing us to the wolves. The, our so-called allies, they're like, oh, well, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to like support any kind of popular movement that would fundamentally make things better for people. So yeah, I guess the conservatives can have the trans people as long as they don't come for me. And, you know, yes, like... Until it gets to the point of who's going to help me? Yeah. <laughs> come for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, It's then more important their, yeah. their, their, uh, the value of their home stays high or whatever, right? And then the conservatives, they can be convinced, oh, yeah, all your problems is because of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that I keep stealing more and more of your paycheck and everything keeps going up in price and nobody's doing anything about our crumbling world. No, no. You got, you got to hate these people. You're going to hate Mexicans. You're going to hate Muslims. You're going to hate queer people and feminists. And... They tie all that to communism, of course, because they know that people banding together is the thing that beats them. So they have to spread out that propaganda of, no, everyone for themselves. You just want to be for yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. In fact, you can't trust other people. You have to stay in your own little bubble and you have to do everything yourself. And all that matters is your ability to like be strong and provide for yourself. And anyone else who relies on help from others or handouts, they're weak. And weakness is to be punished. Weakness is like women. And that's why we don't like gay and trans people because they are displaying weakness. It it kind of all comes back to this sort of fascistic uh, mindset. It sounds kind of like 1984 in a lot of ways, right? Where you have, uh, there always has to be a constant state of war. You have to have a common enemy because otherwise people are going to rebel against the yeah. government. <laughs> they need somebody to hate. Mm-hmm. And small scale, you know, you got your cancel wars and, you know, right wing likes to complain about cancel culture, but they cancel people all the time. Oh, all the time. They set their people on like, yeah, I get mad about that. That's the thing. Oh, Mr. Potato Head is going to be just Potato Head now. You got to be mad about that. <gasps> Dr. Seuss, did you hear they're getting rid of Dr. Seuss, folks? Oh, you got to be mad about children's hospitals now and like keep them running around mm-hmm. and don't look at you know, I just said don't look at the big picture before, but sometimes you have to look at the big picture too. Yeah, got to do a bit of both. And I, I, I want to push back a little bit actually on uh, one of the points that you said about your comics sort of not creating any kind of tangible change. Like it's helping, you know, people on the left or, or trans people or, or queer people in general, whatever that is. But I think that in a lot of ways it does help. It's like it's, but it's not so direct, right? It's not that. Uh, someone who hates trans people is going to read one of your comics and go, oh, suddenly I like trans people. But I personally found your comics and uh, Sophie LaBelle's comics to be extremely helpful in framing my advocacy and kind of understanding how to show how ridiculous some of that is. And um, so, and I think that that can create change, right? Oh, yeah. When you're getting a lot of people sort of uh, understanding a way to frame an issue or um, 
how to sort of point out the, the pieces that are very ridiculous to kind of show the public um, how wrong the other side is. I think that that uh, does have a really big impact in our society. I, yeah, I will. I, I sometimes undersell the value that a lot of the work I've done has had because I think I've been very jaded by like seeing things mostly get worse, uh, but things have also gotten better too. It's this weird extreme, right? Like I'd say on the whole, trans acceptance actually has never been higher. Mm -hmm. It's just also somewhat paradoxically true that trans hate is probably also never been higher because mm -hmm. a lot of people just didn't know about it before. They didn't actively care. And now that people know, some of them care a whole lot and some of them care a whole lot in the other direction. And I think the same happened with gay people too, yeah. right? And that push, it was suddenly, uh, you know, now we see you and now it's an issue because you're being vocal and you're asking for things and it's, um, you know, changing the way that we perceive the world maybe. People don't like being like put upon like this idea of like that you've done something wrong or that you owe something. Like, I think it's very easy for people to say like, oh, it's, you know, like indigenous people's fault that they live, you know, they have alcoholism issues or something like that. Like that's just their own not that I have to do anything different. It's not that my society and the cultural values that I hold dear did anything. But equality feels like oppression if you're in a position of privilege. Yeah. And, you know, trans people are like, hey, could you please maybe consider not doing this thing that kind of harms us? No, how dare you put upon me the idea that I might be wrong about something mm -hmm. or that, you know, my ancestors were wrong about something. Right. I have something that has been going through my mind is that, and somebody's brought this up with me and like in, in Davie Street in downtown Vancouver, how many gay pride flags are up? How many trans pride flags are up? Yeah. Now maybe our community could make sure that more trans flags get up to bring the reality out to people that there's more than just gay or gay trans. Or trans. I, I, you know? This is something I think about. I don't want to cut you off, no. but... Uh, I hope people realize this. I think a lot of people don't get it. I think they really think that a rainbow flag is enough. But like at this current point in history right now where things are going, there's times where just a rainbow flag is a signal to a trans person that they are not welcome. Yeah. But trans people, I don't know if you've experienced this, Nicola, but like a lot of us don't feel safe in an, something that just says, say, gay because there's a lot of people that try to use cis gay people as a weapon against trans people. I'm not accusing even cis gays of doing this. This is straight people yeah. who do this. Or or a very specific group like uh, LGB Alliance. Yeah, right? Where exactly. They, they're, they're the LGB without the T. There's that very uh, con concerted effort to remove trans people from the equation. They don't want it to be about trans people. There was a picture that got shared recently on Twitter of um, some lesbians that had cut up a progress pride flag yeah. and they'd cut the rainbow off of it and they were holding that bit up while the, you know, the, the symbols of um, brown and black stripes for people of color and the, um, the blue and the pink and the white for trans people were just on the ground at their feet. Which and that really tells displays. you everything you need to know about them. Exactly. Yeah. I also uh, was thinking when you were saying that about my push for a rainbow crosswalk in Coquitlam. Because I wasn't just pushing for a rainbow crosswalk. The rainbow crosswalk was the one that got installed, but I was pushing for both a rainbow crosswalk and a trans crosswalk. Mm. And mm. they were willing to accept the rainbow crosswalk under the premise that it's reflective of all diversity. <laughs> to the point where they actually tried to make it a seven-color rainbow to make it a little less queer <laughs> um, and a little bit more about all diversity. <laughs> um, and that 
rainbow, I really had to push this idea that, um, you know, it's, it, it is about queer people. It's also about allies for queer people. So really the only people it's not about are bigots. Um, but I shouldn't have had to push that point so much. And that was also the reason the trans crosswalk didn't get approved. They said, well, if we approve a trans crosswalk and someone asks us for a Nazi crosswalk, we're going to have to approve that. I'm like, why does your mind immediately go yeah, to that? These things are an equivalent. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, there's, there's this reluctance to display trans flags where there's not a reluctance to display rainbow flags. Rainbow flags, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess in some people, there must be a significant number of people for whom this truly isn't a settled issue, which is chilling because we're talking about human beings, whether or not certain human beings are like, what, okay? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, okay, so your mind goes to Nazi flag, but like what you're talking about is kind of a Nazi mindset that certain people don't, what, deserve to exist or something? Like, what, are you you willing to entertain that notion in your mind? Mm -hmm. I, I wish people would maybe think about that more right and we don't need symbols of just sort of general diversity right like what what good does it do to just say uh one of the the um, proposals for this crosswalk was that we just have a crosswalk that read diversity lives here but that would be lying i don't live there (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's true um but you have to think about what you're trying to accomplish right you're trying to make this very clear uh symbol that our city accepts this group of people. And I think if you're just trying to say our city accepts all people, it's like saying all lives matter. Yeah. At that point, it's meaningless. You need to call out the groups that are being marginalized and say, we yeah. are going to uplift you. We make that pledge as a city to support you because we recognize that you're not being treated equally here. Yeah. What direction do you see queer advocacy moving in? As, uh, as things progress, Obviously, there's still issues that need to be resolved. Um, you probably, diversity, have the biggest uh, knowledge around what has happened historically <clears throat> in terms of advocacy work. So maybe you're well positioned to to kind of see the direction that we're moving in, or maybe you're not sort of in touch with with that as much anymore. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I have to think about it. It's it's like. What do we, what was it again that you're trying to get at? I'm trying to get a sense of where queer advocacy is moving towards. Uh, like, what are the I, issues I, that you see people championing? What, what is the, what I direction see, is that? I see in? more and more the, the queer community championing inclusion, mm-hmm. total inclusion. Makes no difference who the person is, what there is. We're a gay community. We're going to teach you. Uh, we'll allow you into our community, but you've got to accept our values. And what I'm saying about that is, like, say in a, in a bar that's, that's traditionally gay, we gay, we have a, a right way that we treat, particularly, say, like the, um, um, the drag queens. We don't touch them. We don't remove any of their clothes on them or anything like that yet. But now that there's a lot of cis people coming in to the clubs, particularly later at night, yeah, they need to be taught, they need to learn how to respect our values that we've instilled in our people to make them feel safe. To sort of stop the cis washing of, or heterosexual washing of, of uh, queer communities. Is that yeah, that too. I mean, I mean I, I give an example of, of a, 
a, a couple of heterosexual women during a drag show uh, making out on the stage. You don't do that mm. in our community. I give another example. This is a personal one. I didn't even realize what was going on. Uh, a couple of straight women batted my wimple off. Oh, they touched me. I was I I thought nothing of it. But boy, the community! No, no, you do not touch a person. You do not touch their clothing. You do not take it off. Yeah, they had they. <laughs> Complained to the management. The person was banned from the club. Right. So consent is really being taken seriously. Consent seriously. is really seriously. And being able to put that across to the people who are coming into our community, though they may not be part of our community, that to respect those values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll get along fine. They'll get along fine. They'll be included. They'll get support if they need it. Yeah. Uh, and to me, when that thing happened to me, Seeing the support that came from the community uh, was kind of awe-inspiring because I had no idea it was there. Mm-hmm. But to see it, it manifest that our community does care about its members and its people. Yeah. And that's something we can gift to others who are coming into being allies, whatever, of the community. Respect, care, and love the people. Yeah. One of the things that came to my mind as you were saying that is that idea of intersectionality as well. Um, And I think that's a really big one at the moment is we're trying to make sure that everyone understands that these issues are not standalone issues, that they intersect with all sorts of other social issues and and, um, cultures or whatever it may be. Um, I see a lot more focus on that these days. And I think that's probably something you know, with the inclusive pride flag, for instance, yeah. um, making sure that all of these different groups are represented and that we understand that it's not just gay people, it's not just trans people. There's all those intersections that uh, that we need to uplift each other, right? Um, mm-hmm. No one is equal until we're all equal, that, that kind of concept. Did you have some ideas on this as well? Uh, well, I think I see two distinct poles kind of coalescing, and I don't know which one would be like the dominant one. I think I don't see either one completely usurping the other, but I definitely say that one is more useful than the other, although I'm not going to say either is completely useless. And you have like the people, uh, like as we're so atomized, especially post-pandemic uh, where we're mostly just hanging out inside alone online, and it's become a lot of like consumption is identity, which is politics. So like people determine... Like, you know, you want to see like a gay person in a Marvel movie or something. You want to see like yourself reflected in media. And that's almost where it ends. Like, oh, I'm supporting the good media. You know, the good company has the gay couple in a cartoon show. And so I watch that cartoon show because I'm gay. And that's me doing politics. And that isn't that. It's just watching a cartoon show, which is great. People should watch cartoons. And it's great to have gay people in cartoons. And I wouldn't trust a company that never put gay people in its cartoons. That would probably signal they weren't a good company. But I can't just leave it there. I have to like go beyond that. But I think a lot of people are becoming very comfortable with that, where they just think, oh, no, but I like I watch gay TV. I, I read gay comics. And that I, should be the bare minimum, is that you see yourself reflected in the media. Yeah. To the point where maybe it, it shouldn't, it is sad that it's an issue. And I get why that there's people hungry for it because we've never had it. And I, I'm not going to begrudge anybody who wants that and takes value out of that. But I don't think we should kid ourselves into thinking that that's like 
just watching that TV show or something like that's not going to do anything really like in the grander scheme. So, but we have the other poll of people, young people gathering online, like I was talking about the streaming communities. Like there's people that actually seem like maybe they are connecting and trying to take action, push back against the, the stochastic terrorism that's going on with right wingers against trans people specifically. And I'd like to see more of that happen. I, I hope more people, like, especially if we're going to be stuck online or, or we're going to be doing a lot more interaction that way, to be gathering in such a way that you can also act and not just like consume passively. Is, you know, don't mm. rest on your laurels. Like, you're just like listening to our elders about like where things used to be and where they could go again if we weren't careful. Like, just sitting around being kind of depressed and watching gay cartoons, like you could fall asleep and forget just what's going on outside. What message would you give to people who are looking at becoming queer advocates? How do you become an advocate? Um, you know, what, what can you maybe do to make the world a better place? Recognizing that you know, we, we're all only capable of so much. I think my main thing is don't, be too full of yourself. Don't take yourself too seriously. I think a lot of people get into this sort of thing because they want to do change, but it starts just to become about themselves. And they're just like, I don't know what, clout chasing or whatever. They're just trying to be popular and cool and snarky. And uh, I think it's more a matter of just be yourself, but be like the best version of yourself you can be. Try to take good care of yourself, try to take good care of your friends and your community and try to do the right thing and speak up when there's an opportunity for you to speak up rather than jumping into something and making it a show about you, shining the spotlight on you and putting your nose into every little thing. Listen and don't talk over other people. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a, a, a lot more humility, I think, that we need in in life is a, a weird sort of celebrity culture that's taken over uh everybody even people who don't think of themselves as public personas and um i don't know self-importance has got to go away because here we have all this whole world of people who think they're the most important person in the world you can't all be the most important yeah no, trump is <laughs> we know that <laughs> um kind of brought about a bit of something for me is that one of the things that that I'm focusing on is seeing the good in somebody else and acknowledge them and validate them for who they are. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it's something I agree with, no, if, if, if somebody is wearing a nice outfit, validate them for it. Don't just, well, I wish I had that outfit. No, validate them for who they are and what they're doing. Uh, and being, I think during the pandemic, we all heard be kind. If we can be kind to ourselves and to one another, uh, we all come out ahead. Yeah, yeah and uh, I'll also answer this question of uh, what I, I think we can do or what a new advocate could maybe do. Uh, and it's sort of what's driven my advocacy work since I began doing it, which is be the change that you want to see in the world. If that looks yes. different for everyone and be the person that you needed when you were younger. So when I was struggling as a kid with, uh, not understanding why I, I felt like I should have been born a girl, but that's not what everyone was telling me I was, and and not knowing what it meant to be trans. 
now I recognize that had someone just explained what it meant to be trans to me back then, everything would have clicked and I would have been able to start figuring out what what to do with my life at that point. And my starting point would have been much earlier than it actually was. So now I, I speak in schools because I'm trying to be the person that I needed when I was that yeah. age. So I think that's um, that's a good starting place, maybe. And is that not a part of Soji? It is. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's, that's why I support Soji. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, thank uh, you. Sorry. Oh, I was about to say... Um, I wanted to add on to the one thing because you'd sparked an, uh, an inspiration in me for a quote that I'd heard recently that I really liked. So I can't take credit for it. As the late Michael Brooks uh, had said, uh, be kind to people, be ruthless to systems. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, like that was just it. one of those things. If you're going to be advocating, you can be uh, angry and vitriolic to your peers and people around you, but I don't know if you're going to get a lot done. But you need to save that energy for the real thing that you're fighting against. Uh, I think that's a great quote. And thank you both for sharing your perspectives here today. Uh, this was a really interesting conversation. I wasn't quite sure how it was going to go with, with the, you know, the dynamics. Me, I never really know. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but I thought it was really interesting to, to hear both of your perspectives. So thank you for sharing them. This has been a social justice podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Sperling, joined by Sabrina Symington and Diversity Reigns, and I will see you in two weeks in the next one. You've been listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book.